Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. So I'm super excited about this conversation because uh, 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 you guys aren't just guests, but there's history here. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, collisions and catalysts and unfolding and connecting dots and, you know, coming full circle, all of that stuff happening. So uh, let's start with intros. Let's start with uh, who they are. Do you want me to give the intro? No, they should. I, I think they should. The yes. You want them to do it? Yes. You want to start? Intro yourself. Ashley? <laughs> Professional. Oh, I would love for Vanessa to intro me. That would be amazing. <laughs> She's so good. Okay, let's do, let's make it fun. Let's let Vanessa intro you through the perspective of her twenty-something-year-old self when she found you and you became one of the greatest catalysts um, of her life. So my acting oh. like I'm in my twenties. No, no, no. Don't <laughs> don't act. Weird. Just uh, yeah, see if you can do that. Access that figure. part of stealth. Yeah, exactly. paint us the picture. New York. You were you yeah. know whatever twenty-something. Right. So. Currently, from the year 2022, um, Ashley is both a psycho-spiritual counselor and an intuitive medium, right? That is what you currently do. Um, and you've always kind of done that, but, uh, you know, for those listening who don't know, so I met Ashley when I was 25, a wee 25-year-old, um, which is crazy now on this day of my birth, 38 years old. Oh, yeah, today's her birthday. Look at that. How about that? I was doing the hey, math. Ashley, how old were you when she was 25? I'm 10 years older, so yeah. for 35, yeah, 35. So she was younger than you are now. Mm -hmm. Wow, mm -hmm. babies. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and so Ashley was my first therapist. And uh, she, I mean, she changed my life. It was a huge, you know, it was one of those pivotal relationships for sure. That is kind of the reason I am who I am and I'm on the path that I'm on. And Ashley was the one that, you know, just opened up all kinds of doors and, holy shit moments and all of those experiences that most of us have with our first therapist. How can I, can I ask you this? How did she change your life? Be a little more specific in what way? Um, you know, I think Ashley was really pivotal in me really taking ownership of my life, unpacking a lot of um, things that I was very blind to in intergenerational patterns. We'll just say that <laughs> um, some relationships and intergenerational patterns and how those play out in my life. Um, she really changed my life in the, for the better. I mean, I, I was prompted to go to her by a friend of mine who's unfortunately no longer a friend, but who said to me, you know, you're so angry. You're just so angry all the time. Like maybe you should go to this therapist who I see and um, just really kind of opened my life to like what kind of possibility there could be outside of just like, going 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 to the state of exhaustion giving no boundaries resentful fucking angry all the time um the angry therapist should have been your thing yeah not mine at 25 it for <laughs> sure should have been my thing <laughs> um and then i met she Lair might have qualified us <laughs> at some point right um Lair is ashley's husband but also Lair was my couples therapist in my last relationship that expired um as it should have. Mm -hmm. And um, so I kind of had some of his wisdom as well at a, at a small part of my journey. And now I just feel like at this point, I mean, life changers, but also colleagues, which is great to say. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it's really fun. It's fun to be in this space. Yeah. yeah. And Lara, just for the it's just to have seen you. Sorry. What's well, that? I was just gonna say to give the actual intro. So Lara is yep. also a therapist, LMFT, um, and also the author of a new book, which John has right here, The Practice of Love. Yeah, that's right. Talk about. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you it's got a it. Great book, by the way. Get yeah. that. There it is. And I love that. Oh, you're saying. And, and notes. <clears throat> Yeah, I love that uh, you go in through the door of mindfulness. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, which I think is, I don't know, I think that word is very um, uh, thrown around, and I think a lot of people um, mm. use the word about don't don't practice it much, but but um, using it as a way into relationships, I think, is amazing. Yeah. So where do you want to? Start? Yeah, I needed a ramp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the ramp. I mean, if I were to say like what's my connection to you all one of the biggest I would say is that you both opened my world around you know mindfulness and the healing power of it I mean not just individually but how we relate to the world which includes our relationships right so it's it's I always talk to clients about you know mindfulness is not like um it's not an activity like lifting weights I mean it becomes an integral part of who you are it becomes like a part of your your life, your soul, your personality, you know, when you really do practice it and it, mm -hmm. it changes everything about you when you really do embody the practice fully. That could be the same with lifting weights. I think that's well said. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. fair. It's, it's, you know, but it's like a way that you live and you breathe. I, I guess the same goes for people who are really crazy into lifting weights. <laughs> uh, Laird, let me ask you, uh, what is your relationship yeah. with mindfulness? Um, why did you choose to go in through that door and then finally, uh, tell us, tell us about um, how to relationship better using mindfulness. Yeah, so Ash and I went to the Helix training program in New York, which was this four year, um, very eclectic, uh, multidisciplinary uh, uh, training program. It was founded by five women in the 70s. Mm. And they really sought to kind of turn psychotherapy on its head and say, look, it's not just about the Western modes. And so we spent four years kind of studying all different kinds of things, including Peruvian shamanism, lots of Jungian stuff and, and clinical modality, modalities. But when we came across the, the Buddhist psychology and the mindfulness piece, I was like, that really spoke to me primarily because this is what I was not a clinician. Right. And here I am trying these things that I'm reading in these books to you know work on my own life and my own brain. And there was no ramp to these things mm -hmm. and what mindfulness did for me personally and what it ultimately does for my couples i think is it it it, it allows them an opportunity to stop to push pause to take a breath to titrate the nervous system and to stop looking externally but to look internally right mm -hmm. and especially with couples i find that like you know there's a lot of like well and yeah. that that external go uh, mm -hmm. yeah um uh, there's not a lot of traction there, but there's a ton of traction in what am I doing? Where am I? Wh where am I on that on that Richter scale four, five, six? Um, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Um, when I sought to kind of put my own methodology of working with couples together, um, one of the first things they say in any uh, in the big book of couples therapy, whatever your whatever Western mode you're working, they say de-escalate the couple cycle. Hmm. period they don't tell you how to do that yeah. um they just say de-escalate the couple cycle and if you're a clinician and you're working in the room with a couple that's maybe easy enough you can go hey hey guys calm down take a breath let's stop 
but I needed to give something to couples that they could use, the tool that they could take with them, mm-hmm. something that they, a commonality, a common language, a common practice where we could say, where they can say to each other, hey, can we just stop and take a pause and take a breath? And, be, you know, you take that breath, you begin titrating the nervous system down. And what I found is it was getting my couples out of their knee-jerk responses to each other. And that was a big, big plus. And so um, I started there and it became the, I would call it the universal remote, the all access pass and skeleton key, as I like to say in the book, to the other practices, set them up. Mm-hmm. Prior to using that with couples, it was hard for me to get them to stop and look at their parts, to yeah. check in with their narrative, to work some sort of EFT scenario or to understand their attachment issue because they were so activated and so in that way it became that onboarding process if i could stop things let them take that pause and begin to look internally instead of externally that was really helpful and that started the book yeah uh you said knee jerk which um i can relate to and also uh it just kind of like uh, flashed in neon for me um that seems to be uh one of the biggest problems in relationships, uh, people allowing the knee jerk, allowing, um, you know, the reaction instead of the response. So then mindfulness kind of becomes this uh, emotional speed bump that mm-hmm. stops the knee jerk. And then your um, reaction becomes a response. There's more thought. And so that itself, I think, I think, cause I think that's where the road forks and that itself can break patterns, mm-hmm. um, create the uh, space to look inward um, and yep. also give people the opportunity to take ownership. So that's a huge um, game changer. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, that's why it was step one. I thought it would ultimately be the um, the biggest piece of the of all the practices, that the common denominator piece. Ultimately, what I found was, and I wanted it to be, because I was such a big mindfulness guy, I was such a freak for it, and thought it was so powerful. Ultimately, what became the common denominator practice for me with couples is personal responsibility. Because if you're yeah. not taking responsibility for your mindfulness yeah if you're going to allow yourself to go off the rails and not take that pause how are we doing well i think like mindfulness like you said if we look at it as the ramp right i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's the ramp but it's not to say that it's not work in itself but it's not the work right like it's the thing that allows you to do the work it's the foundation from (laughs) which the work is done it's not the work itself at least in in the relationship right um and i i think for me I know in my personal experience, never having any training in that, never having any prior experience with that, when I started building that foundation, that was when all of the other pieces started falling into place and all of the other issues, for lack of a better term, started popping up. And I started being able to go, oh, there's that thing, but I wouldn't have seen that thing had I not gotten slow enough, quiet enough, still enough, internal enough, um, you know, to actually see it. I have a question. This isn't from me. This is me channeling from my audience. Why should I take responsibility if my partner's not doing shit? <laughs> Why well, should where I go does that? What's that? Why should I go first? Well, we got to any up and we want to show up in our adult selves. And, um, you know, in the book, I talk about the love embargo and we sort of stand behind that embargo of like, I'll do better when you do better. And yeah, nothing yeah. can happen. No traction. All that can tug be of made. war. Yeah. Yeah. And so here we are. And that can last for years. I mean, when you get into the, if he would only, or if she would just, or the love embargo yeah, or the yeah. tug of war, the, the, the relationship has 
two places it can go. It either stagnates and stays the same. And we just sort of look across the table like I've been in each guts yeah. um, or it collapses. And so movement at that point in any direction, I think is better than, uh, than none. And so going first, like we, we might put our feet to the path of I'm out of here because I need to be, this is unhealthy. You're, if you're not doing your work, you're not showing up for me. Mm-hmm. You're not showing me that I'm loved, that I'm safe, that I'm enough, that I matter, helping me with all that internal stuff. So I probably need to exit. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to step forward and say, let's have a conversation. Let's have a difficult talk. Let's uh, figure out where we're going or where we're not going. Mm-hmm. Me at uh, 49 and, you know, um, 12 years post uh, divorce and lots of other relationships, it's still hard for me to put my yeah. fingers down and, and say that, hey, this is something I need to own. I will go first. Uh, it's so much easier to play chess or to wait for the other person to make the first move and then say, oh, okay, now I'll do the dishes. Well, and it's also, if you're really smart, obviously, and then you, it, you obviously are you know, that you can sit back and play that and play chess and you're probably good at it. Yeah. 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 I, I would say too, a lot of times when I talk to clients, it's talk, it, I talk about like short-term versus long-term, like, sure. You can have short-term gain by mm-hmm. playing those cards and mm-hmm. by not owning and by doing the same thing you've always done, you know, the people pleasing, whatever the, the bullshit quality. Right. Um, but are you in it for the short-term or for the long-term? Because you know, long-term, that's not going to get you where you want to go. Like short-term, it's going to alleviate that anxiety in the moment mm-hmm, for a brief mm-hmm. pause, um, but yep. it's just going to build up for it later on. Right. Yeah. And and I'm, what uh, are your thoughts on all this? Yeah. And by the I'm way, saying, can I just yeah. real quick, I was observing um, both of you and as, I, a, as a therapist would. <laughs> no, no. I, well, something caught my eye and this is really interesting. Um, Larry, while you, was, you were talking, Ashley was, was looking at you like this for the yeah. entire time. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's so, that's so awesome. It's so, um, I, I don't know how to explain it, but usually, you know, when you're in front of the camera, both people are looking forward, but she yeah. was um, mm-hmm. listening and, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh shit, I don't do that. And I thought that was really cool that she was engaged in you and not, um, you know, checking her hair or seeing mm-hmm. that. Um, <laughs> you must have told oh, you must have her instructions before we started. I let her know. Listen, yeah. I need to shine here. Um, well, no, I was going to say too, that like, I don't, you know, as, as we all do, we're humans and we're clinicians and therapists and coaches and whatever we're doing. Um, I still have to push that mindful pause button when I need to, own, and I know I need to own my shit. And it's like, there's a part of me that when we, you know, when we rarely get into it, because obviously things are Never. very clean on the side. Um <laughs> That, that I have this part of me that it's like he puts his lips to my ear and he goes, now you get to say some fucked up shit. And I'm like, what? Wait, I know. Do it. Do it. And I look across the table and I see that face and I'm like, oh, and, and there's still that dog fight yeah. of like you get to fight for the victim position. You get mm. to fight to be right. And this that part of me in that compartment of my brain, I forget that this is a zero sum game mm-hmm. and that you know, if I really love her, I don't want her to lose anything. And so that moment of like pause allows for the rest of that to come in. And I can toggle between those aspects of self and that wise self can drop in and go, I know where this is going to take us. And this is practice, man. That's why I called it the practice of love. Um, and, and make a better choice, choose her in that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
true story yeah. you. yeah and i and i want to i want to hear like john said i want to hear ashley kind of your perspective but i i also yeah. want to put a pin in and come back to because that feels like a good segue into talking about one of the areas of your book you talk about a culture of reverence and I feel like this is a really good, we're going to, we're going to come back to this because I want to talk I about I think John that. found it though. And the look, that's, that's, well, that's exactly it. You know, and I, I know you write about it later, but I also, and the funny thing is, is because I saw both of you at a similar time in my life, I don't actually remember which one of you told me, but I remember hearing a story from one of you about a point in your relationship where you had a realization that the kind of relationship you wanted to be in was not the kind of relationship where you spoke to each other like that. You remember that one. Yeah. And I don't, again, I don't remember like which one of you said it and at which point, but like, I remember it coming to me and it's, it's mm -hmm. stuck with me and I'll tell you, well, first I want to ask you either one of you really to talk about reverence and the importance of reverence in a relationship. If you could for the listeners. No, no, no wait, hold on, hold why, on. You're, why, why? Because we're still waiting for <laughs> Ashley. That's I, I know. We're going to say, Ashley, okay, we want, we want you to speak and then we're going to go on to, but let's do this. And then, the the and three extroverts in the room. And, damn it. Ashley. Totally. There's a show in scenery here. I, I think what would be really funny is we go for an hour and Ashley doesn't say a word, but but we keep that saying Ashley, that really might happen easily, and then, mm -hmm. and then we overtalk that. So extroverts are the worst. We ironically we ironically don't practice mindfulness in the actual episode to show people. How to <laughs> no, talk no, why would we do that? Anyway, Ashley, okay, so what are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm I'm having so much fun watching y'all's dynamic. It's really interesting. <laughs> it's great. Um, Okay, so where am I starting? Should I start with mindfulness? Um, start wherever you want, just your thoughts coming on, up yeah. And, yeah. I'd like to add mindfulness because it's come up a lot lately with clients and couples dynamics. And I hear people say it's too hard. Mm. And I'm like, what's hard? <laughs> Especially in relationship to themselves. I'm like, isn't it exhausting listening to your mind all the time and everything that it tells you? Um, but when I actually had someone say this to me the other day, like, sometimes I just want to be an asshole and let them accept it. I just want them to hold me as I'd be an asshole. And I, and then they admitted that that wouldn't go well for them. But I thought, why would you want to be an asshole to someone you love? Like, it doesn't even make sense to me. Now, granted, like I'm known, like we had an argument the other day and I said some really shitty things and man, was he mindful. He just sat in the corner of the room, like holding all the energy. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I was just a real shit bag. I'm well, so I sorry. did that knowing we were coming here this week. <laughs> so we <can> talk about it. <laughs> but truthfully, you know, I don't think we can afford not to be mindful. And one of the things that mindfulness taught me is I spent time being a victim to my story, yeah. like a lot of time being a victim to my story, to my PTSD, to my trauma, to my pain, to my suffering. And when I became mindful, it was the first time like I could choose differently. And I realized I don't want to be a victim anymore. So when people tell me, it's too hard or I can't, I can't, I, I just disagree. I'm like, What's you don't harder? have a choice. You don't have a choice. <clears throat> like you and your partner are doing the same thing to the point where it's escalating over and over again. And you're going to sabotage or destroy this or this person or each other. And that just looks awful to me. So I think mindfulness, it's like oxygen, it's air, but it definitely helps us just take control of ourselves and take control. And even if that person isn't showing up for me, but my God, I want to show up better for me. I don't want to leave this relationship going, I was the worst version of myself. And then I have to process that. I can maybe go walk away this with grace or some like dignity because there were times going back to what you said, Vanessa, I was really disassociated when we first met and I didn't know. Like, when we first met? Yeah, when we first met, sorry. Um, when we first met. 
you weren't no she was totally not disassociated during that at all <laughs> no i was really dissociated and i remember we would get in an argument um i didn't know how to do relationships and i would black out like black out in rage or black out just from dissociation i didn't know what was going all i knew was like chaos and like really intense volatility and i remember one day he he it was him he woke up and he said i never want to talk to each other like that again and all I needed him was to say that once. And this blows my mind when couples go through this over and over again. I'm like, it literally for me, and I don't mean to, I don't know what the difference is, but it took him once to say, let's not talk to each other. No name calling, no threats to leave the room. Let's not do that anymore. And then, I mean, honestly, we haven't called each other a name in probably 20, 19, 20 years. We, we, we just don't. Well, that's that that's dovetails nicely into reverence because right. that builds reverence when you put that person in the place of and we all have these people in our lives and i didn't mean to cut you off no it doesn't mean i don't say shitty things sometimes <laughs> but we don't engage in she's that. way better that this shit than i am by the way way she's just a better human than i am i'm yeah um but i think it dovetails nicely into reverence because when you put someone in that place of you know what i just don't talk to that person that way i tell them the truth and i i'm not i'm not trying to candy coat my feelings but i there, we all have these people whether they're clients or maybe it's a a loved one or a child or a friend that we we are almost automatically mindful like i know i want to keep this friendship but somehow familiarity um a marriage license children bank accounts uh, uh car loans this that 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 gives me the sense that I've got a few at bats with you, mm. and so though you're my loved one, I'm just gonna kind of you know take a shortcut here and talk to you shitty. Mm. Really, how's that gonna go over the course of of time together? Why not stop push pause and and and, and I don't know what that that was after a tequila filled night. We had had a terrible fight the night before. We woke up hungover in my crappy New York apartment. And I remember looking at her and saying, I never want to call you a name like that again. And I never want to talk to each other like that again. And we shook on it. And she said, okay, I honestly don't. I think that was the, the crux of the, the beginning of that mindful practice. And it was the beginning of reverence in our relationship. And so now the example we have for each other and the example we have for our boys, quite, frank, quite frankly, and I think other couples think we're totally Pollyanna-ish and we're not, is that we treat each other kindly and with dignity all the time. I mean, this is the person I want holding my hand when I take my last breath on earth. This is the person I chose to make other people with. I should probably be nice to her, yeah. at least. Treat her with reverence. So I love this and I think this is a good, okay, so what's coming up for me? And one of the things that I really appreciated about the book and I've always appreciated about you two as clinicians is your ability to be um transparent right and i think that john and i are very similar um and and i think that's also anything that we do together as a couple i think people really appreciate that you know in our book mm -hmm. it's the same way it's like we will go into like this was the fight or this is the continual yeah. fight that we have yeah. right mm -hmm. and so this is really that's interesting easy. because if i'm hearing this as, as you know a listener i think well i don't i don't name call right like i don't call my my partner names but what i will say this is a conversation that John and I have had a couple times around the way that we speak to each other. And I've brought this up, right? And now him and I have both brought it up a few times where I'm like, I don't, sometimes when we're really stressed out, I don't like the way we talk to each other. We don't name call, right? We're not throwing around like fuck yous or anything like that. But it's this tone of um, con condensation. I was going to say condensation, but that's not correct. Right. Being condescending. Condescending. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
that I don't love, right? And so the reason why I'm bringing it up is it's like, well, if it's not as extreme as name calling, but it's that, it's this like, I walk away from it going, oh, I don't like that, he doesn't like it. And yet we still occasionally fall into this pattern, yep. right? What would be maybe something that somebody listening who I'm sure has a similar kind of dynamic would be able to implement or institute, if you will, that could help unravel maybe a less extreme version of that. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of what that less extreme version would be? I mean, I guess it could be almost anything. Yeah, snapping. I mean, it would be the, the condescending. Snapping, talking like, to them like well, so I would say, I would yeah, say talking to them like they're stupid. Note, I think that's a really good way to put it, Ashley. Yeah, yeah talking yeah. to them like they're stupid. I think it it requires two two of the practices, right? You push pause and you you notice as you're walking away that face that you made. You're like, ugh, like that made me that made me feel like shit. Yeah. And so you notice how it made you, feel. and then you maybe take responsibility for it. Yeah. And that's what it requires, right? Like, I'm just, I don't want to do that to this person anymore. But look, we're Americans and we win shit. And that does not stop here. Mm -hmm. We're used to fighting for even the victim position. Well, they, well, I wouldn't have said that if you hadn't said that. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I don't, maybe you're not name calling. And maybe I don't know exactly what it is for each and every listener out there, but I'm going to bet you could tune up your game with your partner as yeah. far as reverence is concerned. If we look at the definition of word of the word, it's that exalted that place of 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 awe and um, esteem that, yeah. that you hold this person in, right? And again, we have these people in our lives that that we put them in this place, and we we speak to them kindly, we speak to them compassionately, we take time to make sure. Maybe we tell, we always tell them the truth about how we feel. And I think that's important. We don't candy coat it. We talk about our feelings rather than through them, which is the key piece, right? Yeah. Like if I talk about my feelings, it's as if it's like this cup sitting here, it's, you know, brown and it's kind of pewtery looking, I guess. But if I'm talking through my feelings, that's a whole nother thing. That's name calling. That's has a, um, there's, there's a lack of reverence. There's a lack of kindness. There's a lot. It comes at you. But when I tell someone, you know, I'm really angry with you right now. And what's more, I'm, I think I'm really disappointed in the way that you talked to me, the way that you treated me. Mm. Well, now we're getting to something. We're having a totally different conversation. Nine times out of 10, that doesn't feel so personal. It doesn't feel so pointed. And that person can say, I hear you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now we're, now we're relating differently. So well, again, the I hear about, you, I think mm -hmm. is great. And there's that's growth. Usually people say, yeah, but what about when you did to this, this to me on that day? And what about, you know, yeah. and that's when the ropes picked up and held on. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this. Uh, how much of the way that we talk to each other comes from our upbringing, culture, emo you know, the residue great from question. the past, right? The great. patterns of, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So, question? yeah, please. Sorry. No, it's okay. I, you know, I think it's a good question because I think it depends on how much healing work we've done. I would say at this point, the, if I snap at you or talk to you in a way, it's not about my past. It's about my nervous system. Yes. It's about how wound up I am, how stressed okay, so I am. Explain that. Explain that. Can you go deeper on go that? Go deeper into the nervous system part. Yeah. So, you know, I wouldn't talk to him the way my family talked to me or the, our family dynamics. I've done enough healing work to recognize that's not even a part of who I am. It's just not in me. Um, but if my nervous system is wound up, if I'm stressed, if I'm in my head and my head's worried about all these things and um, I'm tired and um, I'm not present, then if he comes to me and I, I'm trying to think of a situation, 
I could snap, I could, I could be like, okay, you know, or just talk to them in a dis- disrespectful way. But I think it's more about nervous system if you're doing your work. <laughs> if you're doing point, your work. If you're doing your work, then rather repeating a culture of family or your past. I think it does happen though. Obviously, I think you drag your culture, your familial culture with you. You do, but I, th- I think if you have done enough personal work, mm-hmm. I think you can really disengage from that culture. No, I, think your like, I, think I don't feel I think like you and point. I carry that in our relation, mm-hmm. our cultures of our families at no. all. I think it's more about our nervous system and what we're actually thinking about rather than being really present in the moment and being present for what's happening between us. Why didn't you help me include that in the book? That's a good one. I've never been asked the question. I didn't she didn't want you to be successful. <laughs> she didn't want to take the nugget. Hey, uh, so let me ask you this, because uh, then can that be the prescription? Um, dropping into your body, being aware of your nervous system as a way to, um, you know, for that to be the radar or, the, you know, to to gauge mindfulness. Oh, I, I actually yeah, most said people this don't do that. Most people don't, uh, you know. They don't track. There's no awareness. There's no tracking. Yeah. They're not tracking. So yeah. I... So what do you mean similar, by tracking? So I feel like there's a moment, like we're building resentment. We're telling a story about that person. They're not helping me out. I'm doing all these things. Um, but I think there's a moment where we have to watch the narrative we're telling. I'll just use an example of someone that said, you know, I feel like I'm doing all these things for my partner and I'm doing a lot of housework or I'm doing um, food and things like that. And this person was getting really resentful, resentful, but the person never, her partner never asked her to do those things. She was doing them because she has space and time. But what was happening is she spent her morning doing these things and her nervous system started getting wound up. The story she was telling about these things, Mm -hmm. about doing domestic work, about managing the food. And before you know it, she was just like, about to explode. Mm-hmm. And then her partner comes in and one small interaction and she's lost it. Mm-hmm. And what we noticed when we broke it down, there were moments that she was cleaning in the kitchen or planning the grocery list, or, mm-hmm. you know, this is just mundane tasks that she noticed. I noticed I was getting irritable. Mm-hmm. You know, I noticed I was feeling like, I don't want to do this anymore. I noticed I was getting tired. I noticed I was losing patience and all those moments that she could have stopped and had some self-care breathe, you know, what am I telling myself? And so often our nervous system is about what we're thinking. You know, she could have told a story and we talked about this, that, you know, my partner works a lot and I'm not doing a lot right now. So I really like keeping our space clean. It's not my favorite thing to do, but I know it helps keep our environment less chaotic and stuff. But instead her mind was like, you know, you're worthless. Why are you doing this domestic work? You know, all this stuff. And the mind was creating this physical and nervous system response. And then by the time her partner walked in the room, she was ready to go. Well, the I think that's part. a really good point, the mind, because, you know, yeah. I, I think a really simple way I've heard it broken down is like your nervous system doesn't know the difference between reality and imagination, yes. right? Yes. Exactly so like right. Yes. all of us, everybody listening can relate to like when you're watching a scary movie, mm-hmm. you can feel mm-hmm. your heart racing, you can feel that's your right. palm sweating, you feel that anxiety. Obviously, you know, like if I'm if I pull myself out of my body, I know that it's not real, but my nervous system doesn't know that. That's why it responds in that way, right? So what you're saying is so powerful because if you really step back and use your mind, you actually have the ability to kind of help regulate your nervous system in that moment with your mind. You have to track. I mean, I think so much of what we do, we have to track over and over again throughout our days. We have to check in. How am I doing? I'm a parent. I have to track. How am I responding to my children? How am I feeling about them bouncing off the walls, making noise? It's tracking. He's talking to me about something that he may want me to work on. I have to track my response to it. But you know, the, it's the toughest thing about mindfulness is remembering to do it. Yeah. That's the hardest part of it, I think. 
for most people. But if you do it long enough, I think it becomes muscle memory. Sure. I think if you do it long enough, it becomes part of who you are. And granted, I'm, it some days are more than others, but I think it I think it becomes a part of your daily existence. I'm tracking. Mm -hmm. I know the importance of this. More of it. So if this was a book, insert a little black box. Tracking is what? Vital to regulation. Noticing. Oh, tracking is <laughs> definition. Oh, Noticing. Yeah. Noticing. Um, yeah. A lot of people watching or listening to this um, stumbled upon it because they uh, uh, found the wrong John Kim because there's a lot of John Kims on this planet. And so for people <laughs> like that, um, tracking is noticing. Uh, note, and I love that it's just one word. It's noticing. Noticing. Mm -hmm. so, well, I, I wish I could take responsibility for that. That's Alan Langer out of Harvard. She's been writing about mindfulness since the early 70s, back when it was like some fringy ooga booga. Mm -hmm. And people are like, what are you talking about? And mm -hmm. she wrote, she's written 22 papers and 11 books on the subject. And mm -hmm. she will break it down to, and I love, you'll love her delivery if you've not seen her. It's very like over the kitchen table. And she says, yeah, it's stopping and just noticing it's, yeah. we could be mindful in this moment. If you just, you don't have to meditate for an inordinate amount of time in order to become mindful in your everyday. And she said, here, look, you want to change your relationship? Here's how you do it. You go home and notice four or five new things about your partner as you walk in the door and watch what happens. And I was like, shit, that yeah. that's, that's solid. I work with people a lot on this idea, especially with women, um, <clears throat> on this idea of like your one to 10, right? So this idea of tracking just reminded me of this. It's like, cause I do this with myself. If like, if I know that my 10 is like, I've just, that's my snap. That's my, I'm snippy. I, I lash out. I yell, whatever my, my response is. You know, the problem for a lot of us is we don't notice when we're at a three to like a seven, like we don't notice it until we're at an eight. And by the time we're at an eight, we're already one foot out the door to the 10, then the 11 and the 12. Right. And so I think so much of the work with tracking and in the beginning, the tracking does the mindfulness does show up as like, oh, I'm at a 10. What does that feel like, right? right? And then eventually you notice when you're at a nine and then an eight. And really the work is like, can I figure out when I'm going from that two to a five? Because that's the sweet spot. Because if I can figure out what that alarm bell is in my body, oh, I'm at a five. Then in that moment, I can do that practice of self-care, like you said, Ashley. And then if I do that, then I can still hold my partner with reverence, right? If we're bringing it back to couples or even my, my children, like I can hold my child with reverence. Every relationship is yeah. affected by that. Yeah. yeah that's and that's one of the things that helped turn couples work for me was mm -hmm. that everything is so external with couples like i'm watching you and what you're doing and what you just said to me and what's going on here and stopping and pushing pause and looking internally well that was like what are you even talking about why would i do that this is happening here i'm like no 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 it's happening here first that's when you can begin to notice the rapidly increasing three four five i'm getting there yeah um yeah so yeah, spot sure. on mm -hmm. yeah can we um, swerve a little bit? Uh, Laird, what's your love language? Uh, physical touch and physical touch. Um, <laughs> physical touch. Uh, I, I, man, I like it when, it's funny you ask because I feel like our love languages are attached to our core wounds and, mm -hmm. you know, as I even continue to do my work, I've uncovered, like, I didn't think the world was an unsafe place to the little parts inside of me. And so I've recently discovered that like the world's a friggin' unsafe place to some parts of me that I've kind of just discovered. Mm -hmm. And so my love language has kind of shifted. And I think it was 
words of affirmation. Like I'm, you know, aesthetically, I am a white male in America. I'm probably going to get, I'm not, I'm never going to be enough. I'm never going to earn enough money. I'm never going to, you know, do enough. I'm never going to be enough. Um, some of that's changed. Like I feel like it's um, physical touch, but that also allows, it, it makes me know that I'm safe. It makes me know, I, I like knowing that I'm safe with her, mm. uh, that she picks me um, and whatever way she chooses to do that. And so, yeah, um, uh, words of affirmation for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I don't even know if I could pick out one because it does feel like depending on the part of whatever young part I'm in, yeah. maybe that love language changes a little bit and I need to know something else. Oh, that's something interesting. Like that. Yeah. So love language, not being a constant, but varying depending on what, what part you're in. Um, uh, <clears throat> Ashley, what about you? What's your love language? I'm the worst. I didn't read the book. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard about it. <laughs> I know there's one, two, there's four, five. I didn't read the book either, but you know, um, acts of service, uh, yeah. affirmation, gifts, gifts. She does, you like, you like gifts. You do. I like, I like gifts. I also love physical contact. It makes me feel like, okay, we're here. You're here with me. Um, I love, um, like the bed made. I love that, you know, cause mm -hmm. my bed can be triggering to me for, different reasons but um although i don't make it <laughs> no, it's nice when i do yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i would say i don't need words of affirmation as much as i like physical contact um and that way in connection and it's really like service. when i send her the message that i was thinking of her when she wasn't there yeah that's a big one now however that gets disseminated whether it's because it doesn't she's not like jewelry or anything <laughs> like that it's flowers oh well, you were at the store and you saw flowers and you thought of me on pair of socks or like you know i was at i was at the surf shop the other day and and i saw this great this cute little sweater and i was like gosh you look awesome and then i snapped it up yeah yeah she likes that kind of stuff thoughtfulness yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like the way that you guys are breaking it down feels more like I hear so many times and we even talk about this like if we have um conflicting um languages it can be tough i think for a lot of people and i like the way that you are breaking it down feels more um it's just allowing that person to know that you're thinking about them it's allowing that person to know that you know it's the thoughtfulness and and however that manifests um it sounds like it, it can be enough for the other person as long as you know that you're being thought of i know like john and i have struggled quite a bit at least in the beginning of the relationship too where he's definitely a words of affirmation person and i really struggle with words so I don't, I'm an extrovert. I can, you know, talk to a brick wall and it could be a riveting conversation, I assure you. And yet when it comes to like, you know, commending the people I love, I mean, I don't struggle with my kids. Four years and she still hasn't said, I love you back. Shut up. It's not the, I love Four you. Years. It's more yeah. of the like, you know, you're so wonderful and here's why. Like that, mm -hmm. those kind of words of affirmation, like, like I get very tripped up in them. I'm not, I can write mm -hmm. them. I can't speak them. Yeah. Um, and so we struggle with that. And then mine is acts of service. And so he's, he's struggled where he's like, I don't understand how that can make someone feel loved. And so all that to say, I think the way you put it is beautifully because it, it's less about like, what are, what box do you fit in? And more about like, does your partner feel like you are thinking about them? Does your partner well, I, feel like they're on your mind? Yeah. yeah. I like to drill down a little bit further beyond those. Cause I had couples come in and I would say, anecdotally speaking, maybe 90% of the couples that I've seen over the number of, individuals frankly over the years had probably read that book and to a person they'll say you know i think my, i am a one three she's a four 
I, I, we got to read that book again. Yeah. And yeah. And so then I would, I, I wanted to drill down a little bit further and I, and I, and I was like, so what are these related to? And so <clears throat> sort of per, started perusing the notion that when we come through the gates of life, we're asking questions. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at that little baby of yours and she's asking some questions. Am I safe? Am I loved? Am I enough? And do I matter? It's sort of, dovetails on on what Rogers said when you know he came up with the sort of the the humanistic approach to to therapy and he said your clients are looking for something they did not get that was a a lightning bolt moment for me I'm like well what the hell is that I need to know what that is he's like yeah you need to you need to know that and I found that I think it's am I safe am I loved am I enough and do I matter are there more perhaps but these are the ones I'm working with these are the ones I included in the book and I think that our love languages are attached to that Mm -hmm. and I was reading um I was reading uh, Stephen Johnson's book, uh, Character Styles. If you're a therapy nerd, pick it up. Uh, it's hard to read. But I was reading the book and I came across what I thought was her character style. And, and Johnson said, for this character style, this person, the world has been in a, a largely unsafe place. Well, yeah, totally. And the people who were supposed to love this woman the most in the world didn't. The people who were supposed to keep her the safest didn't. And so when she came through the door that day, she had a particularly tough day. And this is a story that I included in the book. And, <clears throat> and I felt like a guy, I felt like I had suddenly had the answer key to my relationship, right? I didn't try to fix it. I didn't try, I didn't have to speak a love language. I just wrapped my arms around her and she was in, you know, had some tears. And I said, I said, I know, sweetie. I said, sometimes the world just seems like an unsafe place. Yeah. She pulled back and she's like, who the hell is this guy? Right. Yeah. And so I, th- I think those are important. Those questions are important because they, they, they do inform uh, our love languages. But I feel like if you can get to know your partner's wounding in that way, what they did not get, then maybe you're cooking with some more gas. Well, but this is where I think attunement comes in. And like you said, yeah, maybe the, right. <clears throat> I can't remember which one of you said, but maybe the, it's not the love language for that all the time. Maybe they're changing. But if you're attuning to your partner and what's going on for them and what they might need, mm-hmm. you know, and not to make, not to fix them or make them feel better, but, you know, just what might create a softer environment for them or, or just might let them know that you love them. That might change if you're attuning to. Well, why not want to be the person that the one person in the world who did make it safe, the one that showed up and tried to do something, even though this isn't necessarily how I'm wired yeah. um, words of affirmation or whatever, or, um, acts of service but like here's a grand opportunity for me to love this person the way she's never been loved before holy shit yeah, yeah. Okay. that's what I, that's, something that's, out there though this is a bit of a challenge and i, I know yeah, no. yeah. yeah. <laughs> i'm like bring it all right so let's go into this world though right of working mm-hmm. towards interdependency and in relationships mm-hmm. yes ideally my partner knows my deepest wounding and can really step up and and help help me uh, heal those parts of myself, right? Notice I said, help, help me heal those parts of myself. And there, at a certain point, it is actually my responsibility to know what my needs are, be very clear about them and also be able to sit with that need and say, how much of this is my responsibility, right? So if I don't feel safe, right? Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily, I'm not saying you're saying this, but it's like not necessarily my partner's responsibility to make sure I know that I am safe, right? Like part of this is me questioning, like, why don't I feel safe? And like, what do I need to do for myself to make sure that I feel safe in how I move through the world, right? And I do think Mm -hmm. that there's this line and I'm noticing it more and more in the way I work with couples where it's Mm -hmm. like, 
everybody's talking about needs right now, right? Like I have needs and my needs are not meeting my needs. And it just feels much more finger pointy where I'm like, girl, fill your needs, guy, fill your needs. Like don't yeah. expect somebody else to fill your needs. Right. And so I'm, again, I'm not like necessarily saying that's what you guys were saying, but I, I do think it's a worthy conversation to have because I see it show up even in our relationship. Right. Like I know my wounding, he knows his wounding. And there are times where I find myself expecting him to help fill those those needs or or soothe those wounds mm -hmm. and i have to kind of check myself and be like but is that his job mm -hmm. i don't know, well, I don't know if there's a question in there well, or my, it's absolutely my, our my, individual jobs i think it's 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 not it's not incumbent upon me to fix the parts of her that feel unsafe in the world but it might be incumbent upon me as a partner to create a safe enough space for her to do that yes. some of that work Yes. Right. Like if she's if she's feeling unsafe and I'm calling her names and undercutting her and yeah, and, 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 and furthering that wounding, which is essentially why we all have jobs, because mm -hmm. that's kind of what people do. Um, and I think your point's a good one. You know, it's like there is that line. Mm -hmm. um, and it's there, careful. Mm -hmm. It's careful. Like if I know you have abandonment wounds, mm -hmm. I'm not going to use threatening threatening to leave an argument or leave a space as something, mm -hmm. you know, I'm wanting, wanting Tim to know that I'm in this and we're working on this together. Mm -hmm. So it is, there's a difference between, I think we can support our partner's healing and create the environment, you know, and we could do the opposite. We could actually contribute to more trauma and more harm, mm -hmm. you know, but ultimately it's my job to know whether the world is, he could create a safe environment and he's created a beautifully safe environment but not until maybe recently have I understood that my safety in the world is like, I am safe in the world and I'm going to be okay. You know, and that's something I've been working on for years. Um, so it's a, it's a fine line. We just can't, we can't blame our partners for our own needs being met all the time. Um, but I think we can support and create like a fertile ground for, we can just support that environment. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm being redundant. No, you're not. That's that's perfect. Yeah. You know how cars have um, on the the window when you go buy a new car, it has all the you know it's a liter, <laughs> the gas mileage, all of that. Um, yeah. We should have those stickers where it's like, here's our wounds, here's what you're getting, yeah. here's uh, what you're getting into. Yeah. This is salvage, exactly. by the way. She would have never signed up for this. No way. I'm telling you that. She would have taken a test drive. Yeah. Ugh. Ugly our test Max drive. says there was an accident about ten years ago, but they covered it up and did a really good job on the body paint. You know. Yeah, there may be some flood damage here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely something, you know, I, I was actually just talking to a client this morning about this idea of needs and, and talking about even for some of us, you know, that aren't really good at this stuff, because most of us aren't, but especially in the beginning of this work, it's like, I don't know that I have a need until it's not met. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what I talk about with clients, mm -hmm. right, is sometimes you're not going to know until you're in that place of being pissed off or yep. resentful or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, and and yeah, you know, I have yeah. to work on that. Yeah. Same. Yeah. You know, it kind of uh, brings me back to the word practice, uh, whether we're talking about needs, mindfulness, um, finding beauty in the contrast, it's all a practice. And so um, I love that your title is the practice of love, uh, yeah. love, love being um, lined with action, not just a feeling. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah. So if you're listening or watching, um, check out his book. The yeah. practice of love, and uh, he goes into the door of mindfulness, but uh, it's a lot more than that. Um, congratulations on this book, and where Thanks. can we, um, by by we, where can the audience find both of you? 
Um, I'm at ashleytorrent.com and all the things that I offer are available on my website or at ashleytorrent29 on Instagram. And I'm uh, Lair Torrent Holistic Therapist on Instagram and lairtorrent.com. And the book's available, both uh, hard copy um, and uh, uh, audio form, uh, wherever you can get books. Mm -hmm. Can we leave with um, one mantra? Uh, so, you know, um, you have a billboard. What would you like splashed on that billboard? Mm. Do you want me to go? Yeah, because I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it would be, it would be, it may be a little long. I haven't had a chance to edit. Um, but it would be love has fallen into the bin of things we should just know how to do, and we don't. And it should be a practice, just like anything you want to do well. You want to hit a good backhand in tennis. You pay attention to it. If you want to do anything, you want to speak a new language, you practice that thing. We should look at our partners and our relationships in the same light of like, I'd really like to be able to do this well. And if I want to do it well, I got to practice some fundamentals. It doesn't have to be my book. It'd be nice if it was, but it doesn't have to be. It could be the practices that make your partner feel shown up for. Something like that. Edited down shown up for i also love um i haven't had a chance to edit period that's a good one that's a good one that's ashley what about you gosh just picking one um you know something along the lines of you know our healing is our responsibility yeah. and if we no longer want to be the victim of our story, we have to take our responsibility for transforming that story. So um, that's what I'm. Why is that better than that? I don't think so it much is. Better than that. No, I'm so proud. It's not a competition. <laughs> it's radical responsibility, right? I mean, I think this is. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I'm really like leaning into this idea more and more of radical responsibility, and you know, cutting the tie of expectation for mm -hmm. anybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were okay. just talking, this could be another conversation because we were just yeah. talking about, we were just talking about this this morning, mm -hmm. the power in that, so. Yeah. Great. Well, I wanna, let me jump in before you do the, the outro, because I just wanna say again, and I noticed for the people that are watching on potentially YouTube, this video has been a little weird for the last five minutes. It's driving me nuts. I don't know if you guys are getting the delay on your end. Um, I just wanna say again that I appreciate you both and and, you know, the point at which you came into my life and all of the, the the healing the healing catalyst that you both of you were in my life at that time and have continued to be and um i just i appreciate you both and i'm i'm very glad that you were on this earth <laughs> well i we are so proud of you <laughs> truly yeah and that word is always hard for me to say because i don't, yeah, I don't want, want to sound condescending but proud but so mm -hmm just in awe of everything that you've created for yourself and mm -hmm. the person that you've become and the work that you do. It's so incredible. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how to, and there's not a word other than well, proud. Yeah. It was one of my clients I sent her, I put you two in contact with something. She wrote back, she's like, she's a badass. Totally. <laughs> That's a great word from Vanessa. She's a, I used to think she's such a force. She's a force that needs that needs somewhere to put this beautiful energy it needs somewhere to go where she feels so good about it like i just remember you sitting there and just having all this 
just energy that wanted to help and wanted to serve and just needed a channel for it, you know, and you've mm -hmm. really created that channel because you mm -hmm. are a force. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for, I mean, thank you, John, for having us. It's really nice to meet you and, mm -hmm. to, you know, be in yeah. the space. You're well you. matched, it seems, yeah. the energy. <laughs> uh, yeah. And thank you for having this conversation. Um, hopefully this will be um, one of many that will be a box set. Uh, one of the things that you reminded me of when you were talking about Vanessa and the energy she had at 25 in the forest, um, one of the things that lines up with her story is um, being told to turn it down. You're too much. And maybe she has or is in the process of finding um, where she can point that and that becoming a superpower, you know. Um, I always, so like for me, that I can relate to that. So I always... Um, feel like um, my bib, I was able to turn my bib around. So my bib turning into a cape. Right? So, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's a tiny cape. It's a tiny cape with spaghetti. It's a tiny things, cape. But, yeah. Um, the ability to turn what you thought was your defects into your superpower. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, um, I think that's common for a lot of people. What they think mm -hmm. is their shortcoming eventually ends up being what makes them unique and powerful and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's a, a, a law of nature. I think it's the law of the universe. And it's what creates compelling stories, you know, mm -hmm. the process of that, turning your bit into a cape. So anyway, speaking of capes, thank you for everything you guys do, all the, all the work you do, um, oh. the stuff that you write and, and just showing up in this world. And of course, being um, a catalyst uh, to Vanessa. Yeah. Thank you all, and have Thanks a so. great birthday. Yeah, enjoy. Thank you for spending some of it with us. Okay. Good way to spend a birthday. All right, Bye, guys. You will. Okay. Bye. You Be too. Well. Bye. Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordeaux, Lumia Coach Training. And it's amazing. It's 100% live and online, meaningful evidence-based education, real people, real community, ICF accredited to with 20 diverse instructors in a thriving alumni community. Go to theangrytherapist.com and click on Become a Coach and explore Lumia Coach Training. I'll see you in class.